No, it's not. And sometimes we do things like this where maybe we become the Facebook vigilante, right? Like we find an article that says exactly what we want to say, and so we tag every person we know that disagrees with us, and we post that article, and that's what's going to accomplish reaching people for Christ and changing our world. It's really not, right? It's really not. Facebook should be used for pictures and seeing if somebody's still alive. That's basically, that's what Facebook is, uh, for me at least, that's what it works out to, to being good for. And also giving you a play-by-play to Georgia football or Kentucky basketball. You may know that. I do rant about sports during, uh, on Facebook. But the problem is we spend our time getting involved in these, what we turn into social kind of arguments, social issues and I see it over and over again, and I've seen people get, you know, uh, hot under the collar and just get all ruffled up about whether somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ says Merry Christmas or whatever else, right? I've, I've been in line at a store before where the, the cashier was clearly not a Christian, and I say that because they were clearly a Muslim by their dress and by, by just multiple indicators you knew that this person was not a believer in Jesus Christ and the, I, I see the lady walk up to the desk and she says Merry Christmas and the cashier said Happy Holidays and the, and the lady checking out and she kind of got you know a little attitude you know like cocked her neck a little bit and said I said Merry Christmas and the lady smiled back and said Happy Holidays and this lady was doing everything she could the, the cashier, I mean, to be courteous and be kind. But this woman had decided that she was going to Christianize the world by getting one person that didn't believe in Christ to say two words that they didn't really mean. Is that the, is that the battle that we want to fight? Is that the war that we want to win? Is that the hill that we want to die on? Tell you, that's, that's not. And if that's you... That's not Christ, right? That's not his goal. That's not what he preached. In fact, Christ loved all. And he said, I didn't come into the world to heal those that are okay. He said, I came for those who are sick. He loved those that didn't believe in him. He loved those that cursed his name. As soon as he was put on the cross and he'd been beaten and his beard had been pulled out, he said, Father, forgive them. Now, Let's compare the two, refusing to say Merry Christmas or physically pulling the beard off the face of Jesus Christ. Which one is more offensive? Pulling the beard off, right? And if you don't believe that, try it sometime. Just pull one hair, just one hair, and think about how painful that is and how disrespectful that is. But Christ didn't say, well, how dare you pull my beard? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You say, well, these people know better. Do they? Have they been told? Have they been taught? Have they been reached? The answer is probably no. And even if they've heard before, they don't believe in Christ. And so our argument for, for why we are going to fight with people rather than share the love of Christ, it really doesn't carry any water. And so what I want to challenge you is that when you see somebody that refuses to say Merry Christmas, or you see a sign that says Happy Holidays, or you start to think, man, this is just such a commercialized season. Let that moment be a reminder to you that if you want to change that, and if you want to change the way that Christ is seen, you have a part 
to play. You personally are required to keep Christ in Christmas. You say, okay, well, how do we do that? I'm glad you asked. Let's jump right in. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. It'll be up here on the screen. We're going to start in verse number 44. Here's what the Bible says. Now he had said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now I want to show you what just happened here. In those first two verses, what he says is that you don't understand, you don't have a clue that I'm about to go and die. And by dying, I'm fulfilling, fulfilling every prophecy that's ever been taught about me. By dying, I'm completing the mission that I came here on earth. By dying and raising again after three days. And so here's what he says. I'm about to blow your mind, disciples. That's what he says, basically. I'm opening your mind to the gospel of what's going to happen. And so here he goes on further. He says in verse number 45, uh, verse 46, he says, And he said to them, This, thus it is written, that the Christ who would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, that, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Now, time out. There are two parts in what he just said. That Christ would die for sins, that was his part. We got that. We see his part. But in the second, se second part of that sentence, he tells us our part. And he says that forgiveness of sins by repentance would be proclaimed. Now, Christ came, died on the cross for our sins, and he left us to do part B. And that's what I want to challenge you with this morning. Before I finish reading the rest of this passage, here is where we lie today. You know, I thought about I should just start at the birth of Christ. You know, we're, we're going through the Christmas season, and I thought, you know, I, I, I'm going to preach on the birth of Christ, but I, I, I want to start off with this. And the reason I wanted to start with this sermon today is because today is December 9th. You have 16 days ahead of you where people, whether they love Jesus or hate Jesus or don't care about Jesus, are conscious of Jesus. You have 16 days where your whole world is proclaiming the message of Christ, whether it be through Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or a giant man in a red suit, whatever it is, they're opening and priming people around you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me say it this way. There will be no other time where sharing Jesus Christ will be easier than the next 16 days. It can be as simple as this. Well, do you know what the real meaning of Christmas is? We all know the Christmas story. We know why Jesus came. It can be as simple as having conversations with those around you about what Jesus has done in, you, in your life. As people talk about gifts, you can talk about what Christ has done for you and what Christ has given you and the things that he's blessed your family with and ultimately salvation, the greatest gift he's ever given us. So today, as we go into this passage, I want you to realize what Christ was saying just before his ascension to his disciples. He says this, that the proclaiming of forgiveness of sins through repentance, that's what your goal is. That's what you're here for. You want to keep Christ in Christmas? Proclaim forgiveness of sins by repentance. He goes on further here. He says in verse number 48, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. 
but you are to stay in that city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Now catch this. And were continually in the temple praising God. This does not mean they went to a 24-hour-a-day church service, that they were just staying in church and sitting and singing hymns. They, I want you to realize in the temple, people in the temple were not all believers in Jesus Christ. They still believed the law was the way to salvation. They were going in the temple where they didn't, people probably didn't want to hear what they were saying and proclaiming and praising what Jesus had done. Let's pray, and we'll jump into how we can apply this. Lord, we love you. I thank you so much for saving us. I thank you for sending Jesus, Lord, not only to be a, a, a cute baby or, or something to sing about or a reason to have a holiday, but, God, you sent Jesus Christ to change the world. God, and not only did you send him, you gave us a part in that plan. God, I pray that you just help us to be faithful to fulfill the part that you've given us. Help us to keep Christ in our own Christmas by sharing him and by giving to those around us the love that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have three, and, and I say this all the time, but I've got three very quick points because I have a big, giant object lesson I want to teach you at the very end. And so if I don't hurry, you're going to be um, tied up, and that'll be funnier in a few minutes. But anyway, so, um, <laughs> so the first thing I want us to notice out of this passage is this. Number one, out of verse 48, he says in verse 48, you are witnesses. Now catch what he says of these things. Now, Jesus here to the disciples is saying, you have seen me walk on earth. You have seen me live the life that, you've, that I've been called to live. You have seen me and you will see me die on the cross. And you will, you, actually, you have seen me die on the cross and you have seen me raised from the dead and you are watching a living, breathing miracle and you are witnesses. Now, I wanna, before, I, before I even dig into this point, I want us to think about this word witnesses. It means one who has seen, right? So any court case, the first thing that they're going to look for is an eyewitness. Why is an eyewitness so important? Because it's firsthand experience. Now, you say, well, I wasn't around when Jesus was on earth. But you are firsthand witnesses. You are eyewitnesses to what Christ has done in your life. Now, I've heard lots of times over and over again, there's a popular saying nowadays that says, your story is beautiful, but I want to make a disclaimer there. Your story is only beautiful because of Jesus Christ. And I'll go as far as to say this. I have done a lot of dumb things in my life. I have been in a lot of trouble in my life. I have made decisions that I'm not proud of in my life, but I will say with zero reservation, I would not change a second because Jesus is what makes my life anything more than, than a waste. And because I understand that and because I recognize that, what I did in stupidity, God can use for good. You look at the story of Joseph, and Joseph, his brothers had thrown him into a pit. They tried to kill him. And, and at the very end, when, at the end of the story, when his brothers are coming and basically begging, we need food, and this is what Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Let me tell you something. In your life, there is no wickedness that you should be, uh, that, that you should be regretting and going back, trying to change in your past. 
the only thing you should be doing is looking to Christ and realizing that he can use everything that's gone wrong in your life, everything that you've done wrong, what you might have meant for evil, he can still use for good. And so here as we look at this idea that we are witnesses, you are the very best witness of what Christ has done from birth to today in your life. And as you look around and meet people, God will give you opportunities to use all of those dumb experiences. Now, I'm going to tell you, I wish he would use more often the times that you had a shining moment. Like, I have done so well, and because of this great thing I did, now I can be a witness to someone beside me. Let me tell you, in, in, in over 10 years of ministry, almost every time I've been able to speak into somebody's life, it's been by saying, well, look how stupid I was, and Jesus still saved me right? Well, look at this really dumb thing that I did, and I'm a pastor now, so surely God will save you from the same stupid thing you're doing. And that's the way he works. That's the things that he'll do. And so here we understand that we are witnesses in verse number 48. The, we have to understand that Christ has worked in us, and he's done some amazing things. The first thing is that he, for, he has forgiven us. He has forgiven us before anything else he did in our lives, he took that sin that we committed and he made it of no effect. He made it of no remembrance. He made it of no penalty because he paid the price. He has forgiven us. Not only that, he has loved us. You know what? We can all think of times in our lives when we were absolutely unlovable, right? I've shared too many with you. I'm not going to share another one. I still get comments about the suitcase story I told a couple weeks ago. I will not retell it if you didn't hear it. You'll just have to find somebody else that did. But we have unlovable moments where we were just, you know, there, you know my, the strongest word that my daughters use for just a really bad person is they're a dirtbag, right? And I won't tell you who this was, but they used to have an uncle that they would call Uncle Dirtbag. And I won't tell you who it was or I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But that was the harshest and most terrible thing they could say. Let me tell you something. We are all dirt bags, aren't we? We're all dirt bags. And even in our, our lowest moment of dirt bagness, Christ loves us. You know, you want to know how I know that the Bible says this, while we were yet sinning. Here's what that means. In the midst of your lowest moment, Christ looked down and said, I'll still die for them. Think about that. At your lowest moment, I'll still die for them. And we're a witness of that. We, we, let me tell you, we're witnesses of what Christ has done. And we are also the front row seat of the dumb things we have done. And so we know how much Christ really loves us. Not only does he love us, he has provided for us. We look through our everyday lives and just looking around your house, the ways that God's provided, the protection he's put around you, the things that he's done in your life should overwhelm you. We're undeserving but he's provided anyway. Not only has he provided for us, <coughs> he has protected us. We saw evidence of that. I showed you my car last week. And mo multiple times over the past two weeks, I've thought, God, uh, I'll even tell you this way. I'll, I'll just be real honest with you. I heard a story just two days ago of a pastor. I, think, I believe he was in Georgia, was in a similar car accident to mine, and he died. He died. And I can remember, and, and I didn't question God, but I said, thank you, for protecting me. Thank you for preserving my life. He's protected us. And it's not always that, you know, that, that big of a thing, but I, I bet this week you can think of a time where you made a mistake or, or maybe you, you weren't paying attention or maybe it wasn't even driving, but something happened and you knew 
Somebody must have been looking out for you because you just missed that car or you just missed that hole that you were about to step in or you just missed that snake that was coming around the corner and he was going to bite you. You know, there is no coincidence. God is our protector. Not only is he our protector, he goes on further. And another thing that we're a witness of is that he has a plan for us. You know, beyond the protection, beyond the providence, one of the coolest things that we see in Christ, uh, that Christ does in our lives is when we had something happen in our lives and look back and think, why on earth did you do that? All right, I'll give you my, an example for my daughters. My daughters are um, inquisitive little kids, and recently one of them said, why in the world did God create mosquitoes? Why did God create mosquitoes? And why did he create these other things that just bite? Why did God create cockroaches? Why did God create this and that? And I was able to show them. I said, you know, throughout Scripture, God actually uses these pests as a way of judgment and as a way of, of, of really bothering people to do what he's calling them to do. I said, so he has a purpose even for the pests. And I said, and something eats a mosquito, obviously. You know, that's the, that's the first thing. Bats. And they're like, well, why do we need bats? I was like, well, we'll not go down the entire list of animals and the whole food chain to describe why God created everything. But he does have a purpose for every single thing. He has a plan for what they're going to do. We look at our lives, and I can remember saying, God, I, I know you must have a plan, but looking from the outside, this feels like just a disaster. All right? Have you ever been there where you think, and, and here's the thing, most of the time we had a hand in it, right? So that's, that's where, where we can sometimes falter and we think, well, I kind of screwed it up, so it's not God's fault, but God, I thought you were going to work all things out. And we can start to doubt. And, and, and you know, let me tell you something, even that doubt is from Satan. Let me tell you something, God knows who you are. God knows what you're capable of. God knows the mistakes you're going to make. God knows the things you're going to do wrong. And all through every bit of that, he still has a plan and a purpose for every bit of it. So, so let me reiterate this. If you love the Lord and follow the Lord, you can't mess up his plan. Let me repeat that. If you love the Lord and follow the Lord, you can't mess up his plan. And even if you're in the midst of a disaster and you've, you've created chaos, if you will follow the Lord and love the Lord, you'll be amazed to turn around and see how he used that mess you made to do something beautiful. Now, here's the thing. If you don't love the Lord and follow the Lord through that, it can just stay a mess, right? I've, I've seen a lot of lives where a mess just stays a mess. It never becomes beautiful. A mess just gets bigger and bigger and worse and worse. You know what the difference is? Did you love the Lord and follow the Lord, or did you just stay in the mess? It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. Uh, you, you've got a biblical example for it. Paul, uh, Peter, Peter and Judas did essentially the same sin. They both betrayed Christ. Peter immediately turned back to Christ and repented and said, I need you. What can I do to follow you? And Christ turned his life into an amazing evangelistic powerhouse throughout the early church. Judas said, I can't fix this. And he hung himself. You want your mess to be beautiful? Give your mess to Christ. You want your mess to be beautiful, you've got to give your mess to Christ. And so he has a plan. Even when we mess up, he has a plan. <clears throat> so here's what he says. If we are witnesses, verse 48, he says, we are witnesses of these things. We must bear witness of these things. This is the message. Here is what Christ 
has done in my life, I am a witness of these things. That's the first point. Second point is this. We are empowered. We look at verse number 50. Here's what the Bible says. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. In fact, he goes on further. This is not the only time he talks about blessing them. <coughs> he says in number 49, he says, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, here's the thing. Now, historically, or, or kind of chronologically, the spirit, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, so, so the word paraclete means one to come beside or comforter. The Holy Spirit of God had not yet been sent because Christ had not ascended. Okay, so, so this is a history lesson to tell you there is no waiting period for the power of the Spirit in your life. Say, so, well, when do I get the power of the Spirit in my life? According to Scripture, the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling you. Say, so, well, I didn't feel any power come in. You know, I didn't decide to do a dance or didn't feel like I needed to jump up and down. Or, you know, I, I think the craziest one I've seen, I didn't need to do any cat noises or dog noises. I didn't feel any of that come into me. So did it really happen? Well, here's the thing. Christ, when he came into you, gave you the power of the Spirit. Now, what you do with that Spirit is going to depend on what you allow him to influence in your life. Here's what I mean. So let's say when Christ comes into your life, you say, okay, I'm going to be a Sunday Christian. I'm coming on Sunday, and I'm going to sit in the pew, and I'm going to listen to the sermon. And as soon as the sermon's over, I'm going back home, and, and that was my duty for the week. That's my Sunday. Well, what you've done is you put Christ and the Spirit in this very small box in your life. Well, I only, I only want to give you one day a week, and I only want to give you an hour that day, and everything else is mine. No, no, don't get in my wallet. Don't get in my friendships. Don't go on my Facebook. Don't get into my relationships. You just stay in this box. Well, even though you've got the Spirit, you're limiting where He can go. As you start to open some of these doors of your life, God, I want you to bless my finances, and whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Now, let me tell you something. When you say that, you know what He's going to do? He's going to call, call you to give. And there's always going to be a test. Well, if you really want me in your finances, are you going to listen when I say do something? Give. And when you don't, he's still not in that part of your life. Now, let me tell you something from personal experience. When you open that door and say, Christ, I want you in my finances. Whatever you want me to give, whatever you want me to do, however you want me to bless you, I'm going to do it. You can't outgive God. He's going to bless your finances. The Spirit's going to move into that section of your life. You say, well, what about my relationships? My relationships, I don't really see the Spirit or the, the Spirit-filled life doesn't really kind of ex explain how I have relationships with my family and with my friends. Well, have you ever given those relationships to the Spirit? You say, well, I, I, you know, I pray for these people. You know what? I'm going to tell you. God's going to test you when you say, God, I want you to bless my relationships. He's going to put somebody on your heart or mind and say, I want you to tell them about me. Uh, well, God, I just really wanted you to bless them. I didn't really want to have to say anything to them. I just wanted you to do your thing, and I'll do my thing. Let me tell you something. Your thing is proclaiming the good news that you're a witness of. So here's what he says. He says, I will give you power. He's telling the disciples that, that the Spirit's going to come upon you because he's coming. But let me tell you something. We don't have a waiting period. You have the Spirit if you're a believer. You say, well, how do I tap into that? Start opening some of those doors of your life. Say, God, I want you to affect this. God, I want you to affect this. Now, now let me tell you, like I said, put on your seatbelt, because as soon as you say, God, I want you to affect this part of my life, 
he's going to call you to do something that's going to require some faith in that area of your life. And sometimes as you're doing it, you, it may, whether it's putting an offering in the plate or making a call and the phone is ringing, Satan is going to whisper in your ear so loud, you are stupid. You can't do this. God's not telling you to do this. You're just wasting your time. I can tell you an example. I was driving on my way to visit somebody who had been to our church just a couple times, wasn't real faithful, and, and in my ear, I, this self-doubt, and I, I'll tell you, it's brought on by Satan, it's not brought on by, by God, of, well, you know, you're just bugging them. If you don't stop bugging people, they're going to just think you're an annoying pastor and no one's going to come to your church. That's what Satan told me. If you are an annoying pastor, nobody is going to ever come. And I got to the point where I stopped at the stop sign before this person's house, and I had started to turn the wheel to do a U-turn and go home instead of go visit this person. I said, this is stupid. I'm going. If they get annoyed, I'll just leave. I walked up, had a three-hour conversation with the family, and they've been faithful ever since. You know what it was? Satan didn't want them to know that I love them. He didn't want me to share the love of Christ. So he wanted to convince me that my insecurities or my shortcomings would stop Christ from doing what he called, them to, uh, called me to do. You say, well, how does that work in my life? You've heard that voice. It's not audible. It's not a person. You know, if someone's whispering in your ear, run away. That's not Jesus. Run. That's not, that's not of him. But there will be clear direction in your life from the Spirit if you ask him for it. If you want Christ to move into those areas of your life, respond when he speaks. Hear my Lord, send me. Do what you want with my life. All right? So we have, oh, we're witnesses, we're empowered. I want you to see the ways that we're empowered. The first one is this. We have power to be witnesses by the work of the Holy Spirit. I wanted to say this because I want you to understand, you being an effective witness is not because of your vocabulary. It's not because of how smart you are. It's not because of how much of scripture you know. You can be an effective witness because of the work of Jesus Christ in your life. As simple as that. And so let's read the verse. Acts 1.8 says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Did you catch that? You will receive power power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses. Now, we said just a minute ago, when does the Holy Spirit come upon you? When you accept Christ as your Savior. You want to be an, an effective witness? Here's the prerequisite. Know Jesus. All right, you're there. Go. Everybody's ready. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you can be an effective witness. Second thing here, the second power that we see that we're empowered with is this, is an ever-present help and power of the Spirit. Okay, so the Holy Spirit comes and he empowers us to be witnesses. But also in John, uh, John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, the Bible says this. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Remember, I talked about that word helper is the word Holy Spirit, paraclete. That he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. Christ sent the comforter, the paraclete, the one to be beside us, the one to walk with us, the one that's in every area of our lives. No longer do we have to go to the temple to commune with God because the Spirit indwells us if we've accepted Christ as our Savior. And here's what he says. He will always be there, and he will always be on your side. 
The comfort of this spirit will never leave us as long as we're here on earth. And that's a powerful thing. This idea that we have an ever-present help and power that dwells within us. So no matter what situation you're in, no matter what you're facing, Christ can speak into that moment. Christ can work in that moment. And you can be a witness in that moment by leaning on the Spirit. The third power here I want you to see is this. The Spirit who dwells within you. Listen, He doesn't just stay there. He says He intercedes on your behalf to God the Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27 says this. <coughs> Excuse me. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Listen to what he says here. So I just told you the Spirit's with us in every step of life. He's seen every difficulty we face, every idle thought that you have. The Spirit is there and he knows you more intimately and more deeply than anybody else could ever know you. The Spirit knows you better than you know yourself. Now let me tell you how comforting this is. He, on your behalf, is praying and interceding and making a case with God the Father to help you and bless you and to work in your life. Now here's the thing that's really cool to me. He's not just taking a list of things that would make you better, right? Okay, God, here's what he really needs. Here's what he really wants. Here's the list of things. I'm going to argue with you for it. And, and you give him all these things. I'm going to bat for him. That verse says he knows the will of God and he knows you. And what he's doing is meshing or knitting those two things together. So within your life right now, what's happening with the Spirit is that not only is He giving you power and walking with you, but He's also looking at your strengths and your weaknesses and the plan that God has for you, and He's interceding for you and saying, God, here's what we need to do to put Him in the right place, to put her in the right place, to equip them the right way to reach people for your name. So here's why I'm saying this. You say, why are you so worried about telling us how empowered we are? Because so often, here's what I hear. I can't witness because fill in the blank. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough words. I don't know enough of the Bible. I'm too young a Christian. I'm too old a Christian. I don't have enough biblical training. I don't have enough this. I don't have enough that. The Spirit is within you working together with God and saying, let's get them really ready to be a witness. Now, what's your excuse again? What, in what way are we not equipped? In what way do we not have the strength or the power? Let me tell you something. I'll give you a spoiler alert. There is no shortcoming in you that causes you to not be an effective witness for Jesus Christ. If you are not an effective witness for Jesus Christ, it's because you're not submitted to doing it. Simple as that. You want Christ in your Christmas? You want Christ to be the, the foremost of your Christmas? Spend these next 16 days and get yourself focused on God. Give me opportunities to share you and let me be an example of your love. Wow. You're like, why do we have to go to the one church where the pastor is making Christmas into this big job for me instead of just singing Christmas carols and showing us pretty pictures? He's up there telling me I got a witness to people and this is the time we should be serious. Let me tell you something. I love the Christmas carols too. I love all the Christmas stuff. But don't let these next 16 days go by without taking opportunities to reach those who God's put in contact with you. There's never a day you're too old. There's never a day you're too young. Now is the time to be an effective witness. 
you, and let me just be clear, if you think I'm talking to the person next to you, I'm going to try and look at everybody in the room. I am talking to you. There's not a per- Thank you, Dominic. He jumped up so I could make eye contact. He knows there's not a person in the room. I didn't look at you guys. Sorry, now I did. All right. That di- does not have the call to be an effective witness. Third thing, and we're going to be done. So we are witnesses. We are empowered. Third thing is this. We are called. We're called. Say, so, no, you're the pastor. You're called. <laughs> Good try. We're all called. And I'm going to tell you something. There was no moment in my life where I just woke up and there was just this monument that said, you will be a pastor. In fact, when I was called into ministry, here's how it started. I said, God, I will be a minister, but I will not preach. We see how that worked out for me. And he, he, he kind of worked on me and worked on me. And I said, okay, God, I know I was being stubborn. I will preach. And then I said, all right, God, I will preach, but I will not be anything except a youth pastor. He worked on me and worked on me and worked on me. I became an associate pastor. I said, all right, God, well, I will be an associate pastor, but I need five years to prepare to be a pastor. And until you give me those five years, I will not do it. Six months later, <laughs> and our interim pastor here, a year later, and God says, your plan is not my plan. And let me tell you something. That, that's my story. And your story may be similar, but, but your story is also God is working in your life to prod you and to push you and to place you into certain situations where you can reach people that I could never reach. That you can be an influence that I could never be. That you can be the kind of of believer that this person in your life needs to see to know that Christ is real. I'm not the only one called. We are all called. And here's where the Bible says that. It says at first here in number Uh, Verse number 46 and 47, (laughs) he says this, And he said to them, Thus it is written that that Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sin, remember, here's our part, the second part, would be proclaimed in in his name to all the nations. Are we there yet? We're not there yet. Christ and forgiveness for sins has not been proclaimed in all nations. So what's our first priority still today? Christ must be proclaimed to every person. He doesn't stop there. So that's what we see in our passage today. He goes on further. We must proclaim that gospel of forgiveness and repentance. But secondly, we must proclaim the gospel in all the world to all men. Mark 16, 15 says this. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So the first call was that we should preach the gospel to all the world. He goes more specific on the second call in Mark chapter 16. He says that we are supposed to preach the gospel to all the world, but he doesn't stop there. He says, to all creation. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl needs to hear the gospel of Christ. There are some in your sphere of influence that have not yet heard it. Say, no way. We live, in, we live in Florida. We live in the southeast of the United States. There's 35 churches within 35 seconds, probably. I was going to say 35 miles, but it's probably not nearly that far. There's, there's two right here. Uh, there's, there's, you know, everybody knows the gospel. Let me tell you something. I can tell you from absolute, definite experience. I have interacted with at least 15 different teenage boys, 15, 16, 17-year-old boys, who didn't even know what a verse or a chapter was in the Bible. 
much less what it meant to be a Christian, much less what Christ did by dying on the cross or why they should care. Say, why is that so important? You are taking for granted that people know about Christ that do not know about Christ. You want to know how you find out? Share him. You know what one of the most, thing, uh, most cool things to do is when you witness to somebody and they say, oh, I'm already a Christian, and you start talking about what God's done in your lives. It's not like it's a failure. They don't like smack you and say, I already know that. Get out of here. Like it's not, they're not angry about it. They're glad that you're sharing too. And you know what? Maybe God placed you in their life to encourage them to witness too. Right? So not only that, he says that we're called to, make, to proclaim the gospel in all, all the world to all men. But listen to this. We must be disciple makers. Now, I want to I clarify this, this phrase. This word disciple makers means that as believers, we are recreating ourselves. So how do I do that? Share what you've been a witness of. Teach what you've been taught. Lead where you've been led. It's as simple as that. It's kind of this, just this giant game of follow the leader. Christ is the ultimate leader, and since he came and died on the cross, we've all been following him. And I learned to follow him by following my father. And my father learned to follow him by following his pastor. And his pastor learned to follow him by following his pastor. And my kids will learn to follow him by following my wife and I. Say, what do you mean? You're a part of this giant game of follow the leader. And you've got to play your part so that there will be people following after you. That's the Great Commission. That's what we've been called to do. That's what being a disciple maker is. It doesn't just mean that I said some some words to you and prayed some prayer with you. It means that I'm going to walk with you through life and show you what it means to be a believer. Not by just what I say, but as you walk with me and see what I do and how I respond and what I'm going to do. And here's what the Bible says about it. In Matthew chapter 28, this is the Great Commission, verse 19 and 20. And this is kind of what we've been talking about all day today is this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You say, well, what is he saying there? Exactly what I just said. Teach people to love Christ by loving them, because somebody taught you to love Christ by loving you. Teach people to follow Christ by following him, because somebody taught you to follow Christ by following him. Teach people to live for Christ by living for him because somebody taught you to live for Christ by living for him. You see the pattern here. It's not just some words. It's not just some things I want you to say. I want your life turned to Christ. Say, gosh, that's a really big ask. That's exactly what Christ asked for. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your time. He doesn't want pieces of you. He wants all of you because that's what he's going to use. And so this morning, I, I, I'm not going to give a typical invitation. I actually told you I'm going to do this big, giant uh, object lesson. Dominic, if you'll switch to the next slide and put those up here. I need you up here. He's going to trade off. All right. Go ahead and pull both those words up. <coughs> so here's our call to action today. First is this. Will you heed or ignore the call of Christ? Will you heed the call of... Oh, go back one. We're not singing it. Oh, man. I'm I'm making you go in circles, Dominic. I'm sorry. There you go. We're good. All right, come on up here, dude. Will you heed the call of Christ or will you ignore it? That's the question. So so I've given to you, you have been empowered, you have been called, and you are a witness. So we all know without any doubt that we are called to be disciples and to make disciples and to lead as believers. Here, I'll take 
you take the little part. There we go. All right, so Dominic's going to start tying you up now. Not really. I'm, I'm sorry. This is an example. As Dominic goes around, I'm going to tell you, this string represents your existence as who you are. You are a human. You, oh, well, I'm, I'm beating you, Dominic. Sorry. Keep going. You're good. So this string, the, the length of this string represents your time in existence. Okay? Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. We're get, we see it's getting pretty long. It's getting pretty hefty. It's getting pretty... Um, I hope I don't run out over here, Dominic. I'm just going to warn you. Keep going. <coughs> don't trip on this string as you go out, by the way, too. I would feel terrible if my object lesson injured you rather than teaching you. But this is your life. All right, we got it. We're good. We wrapped them all up. Now nobody can escape while I try to, do, to <laughs> apply the lesson. There we go. You can sit down, Dominic. This is your life, okay? So this is you as a person, all right? It's all the way around the room. We've got more, and it's not even a good example because the Bible says that you are an eternal being. You, you, well, you had a beginning, so you're an everlasting being. The rest of time, the rest of the world, you will be in existence. Now, here's the thing that's sad. Can you see this blue little end? Everybody see that blue marking here? I marked this little blue end to signify the amount of time that you are going to spend here on earth. And let me tell you something, if I was to do it to, to scale the right way, you wouldn't be able to see the blue. Because blue in a pool of infinity, it's not gonna, it, it, just math, it doesn't match up. You wouldn't be able to see it. There's no way you could see it. It would be so infinitesimal that you wouldn't even see it with a microscope. Now here's what I want to challenge you with. So often we spend our entire life focused on this. Think about that. Every day, every moment, every second, we are focused on this tiny little portion of our existence, right? And here's the funny thing. So maybe, maybe even some of us, and I, I'm guilty of this too, we spent our whole life, so we spent all this time saving and working hard and working overtime so that we would have enough money so that for this little part right here, we could live really comfortably and happy and have whatever car we wanted and whatever house we wanted and do whatever we wanted. Now, let me tell you, I, I, some of you, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm really not. This is not intended to, to be a slap in the face or intended to be offensive. In fact, I have a savings account and a retirement account. Just because I believe in Christ does not mean I want to live in a nursing home when I'm 75. I, I understand. But where are our priorities? Right? I have to ask myself that, too. Where are our priorities? I'm not telling you to stop saving. I'm not telling you to stop living the lifestyle you want to live. But I am asking you this. In all of this, with all of this in mind, shouldn't we think about Christ a little bit more? Shouldn't we spend some more time considering our eternity? And so our question here today is this. Our, our thought to send you home with, are you spending all your time on this? Or is your focus on eternity? Let me tell you how you can tell some of the difference. If your focus is on eternity, even when your bank account doesn't look good, you still have joy. If your focus is on eternity, things may not go exactly your way, but you can have faith that Christ has a plan. Even if something doesn't go the way that you thought it would, you can know that Christ has a plan and purpose. So here's what I'm going to challenge you with today. This Christmas, use your time, your talents, your money, and your relationships to bring people to Christ. 
There's no part of you, and I'm going to start winding this up. You guys got the point. I don't want you to trip on the floor. There's no, I can't do it. We're just going to leave it here. Thank you, Derek. That'll be better than me, like, ripping a hole in my hand trying to do it here. Please don't trip over the cord. I will feel really terrible if you do. Um, But as you think about your life and just that little piece, are you focused on what you're going to be here on earth? Or are you focused on the rest of eternity? I want to challenge you to spend more time, spend more money, spend more of yourself for the cause of Christ. You won't regret it. And to to remind you, I'm I'm, going to pray to dismiss us in just a moment. And I'm going to ask, Ben, will you go to the back with us? So I have a bucket here. And I have enough of these pieces of string that are just about this long for each of you to take one and put it in your pocket and keep it in your pocket. And every time you reach in your pocket, every time you reach in your purse and you see that little string, I want you to be reminded, what is my priority? Is it these hundred years here on earth or is it eternity? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much for loving us. I thank you for a purpose and a plan. And I thank you for the power that you've given us to fulfill that plan. God, bless us as we go out. Help us to be witnesses to those around us. God, I pray that you just help us to be faithful to invite, uh, invite people to our Christmas, uh, Christmas uh, service, not just so they can come and have cookies and cocoa, but God, so that they might have the opportunity to reach and receive Christ. God, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.